Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Happy to welcome you on campus. And those of you watching online, thank you for that. It's great to see all of you guys. Hope your week is off to a wonderful start. And uh, we're in a series, as you know, called Transformation. And we're looking at the power of God's transforming uh, uh, work in our lives. And I believe with all my heart that the contrast is set Uh, that we all ought to consider, uh, are we being conformed or being transformed? That's the contrast. And uh, it's one or the other. I mean, it's either I'm more like what I used to be or I'm becoming more like what I should be. Uh, And you and I are really in control of that. There's certain things that God just will not force on his kids. There's things that um, we cannot do without him. There's things that he will not do without us. So when you talk about transformation, it's an interdependence that we have on God. It is opening ourselves up, being vulnerable, being willing to allow God to do his work in us, is trusting him. It's realizing that he knows what's best for us and he can be trusted. And so, and then it's not giving up on the process because this is a discipline that we have to embrace that takes a lifetime uh, to perfect. In fact, you and I will not be completely transformed until we're in his presence. The Bible says in 1 John 2, Beloved, it does not yet appear what we will be, but we know that when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Transformation will be perfected in the presence of Jesus. Until we get there, we're in the process of him transforming us day by day, uh, experience by experience, by the way, uh, a little more into what he looks like. The Bible says that his job or his work in our life, according to Romans uh, uh, 8.29, is to transform us into the image of his son. He wants to be seen and reflected in our life. Uh, the best and the greatest example for Christianity is a Christian, and the, great, and the worst uh, example of Christianity is, is a Christian. And so God is wanting us to be a great example of who he is. I've told you a lot of times, your life may be the only Bible someone reads. The only picture of Jesus someone may ever see is the picture they see in you or me. So it's important as Christ followers that we really reflect our Heavenly Father, that uh, he is seen in our life. And that's what the series has been about, challenging us uh, to this prospect of God's transforming uh, power in our life. And so the text, of course, is Romans 12, 2. We give you that every weekend, where he says, don't any longer allow your life to be conformed. Don't any longer uh, settle for what you used to be. No, God has bigger plans for you. He has a design for you. So no longer allow yourself to be pressed in the mold of who you used to be. Someone says, well, I just can't change. No, the the, the word there is I won't change. You can change. We can absolutely resist the temptation to be pressed into the person that we used to be. We can now embrace the person that we are becoming. God has a plan for our life, and it involves this word transformation. Be transformed, metamorphosized. It is the same word in biology that is used to describe the process where the caterpillar enters the cocoon, and emerges as the butterfly. That's the prospect. And the, uh, the, the work that he's doing in our life is to transform us into the image of his son so that we emerge looking like 
him. So you have this idea of don't be conformed, be transformed, and then you have a way whereby we measure that. This is the second verse I give you each weekend in the series. It's 2 Corinthians 3.18. And Paul uses this picture. He says, just as you used a mirror to get dressed this morning, you can use a mirror to measure transformation. You can look into the mirror that is your life, and you can determine, am I seeing any signs of transformation? Am I seeing anything that, that uh, appears to be reflecting the image of Jesus? Or Paul would use this expression, the glory of God. Am I seeing his glory reflected in my life? Now understand, you define the word glory as everything God is. So when Paul looks into the mirror that is his life, he's saying, I'm seeing a little of what God is reflected in my life through this process of transformation, and he describes it this way in 2 Corinthians there. He says it's glory by glory or step by step, uh, precept by precept, day by day. We are being conformed into the image of his son or transformed rather into the image of his son step by step, day by day. It is a process. Now here's the third verse I give you. It is the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5, 22, 23, where he says now the fruit of the spirit and he begins to identify. Now, let's put all this together so you understand where we're going with the series. He says it's not being conformed, but being transformed. It, he says it's something you can measure. You look into the mirror day by day, and what you're looking for, what you're looking for are the fruit of the Spirit. And he's saying, are you seeing this idea the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, last weekend, faithfulness, and this weekend, gentleness. Now put all that together. He's saying when you look into the mirror that is your life, you should be able to see the fruit of the Spirit reflected there. Uh, you should be able to see that you're more loving than you used to be, you're more joyful than you used to be, you're more peaceful and patient. You, you have all of these elements, you should be able to see them in increasing measure, right? They won't be perfected, remember, till we're in the presence of God, but we still should be more loving now than we used to be. <laughs> We should be more peaceable now than we used to be. We should have more joy now than we used to have. So we should be able to see progress in our life. And this weekend, we're gonna talk about gentleness. Now, gentleness. Now, when you think about gentleness, you, you, you know that it is not something that people naturally pursue. I mean, in our culture, in our world, gentleness and kindness, the same idea, is just not embraced. In fact, a lot of times you get the idea that if I'm going to be successful in life, if I'm going to win the rat race, you know, I got to beat all the other rats, you know. I, I just got to engage with them, and I, you got to just be aggressive. You got to be a crude, rude dude with an attitude if you're going to get ahead in life. And the, the mantra becomes, if you're not careful, the mantra becomes, get all you can, can all you get, set on the lid, and spoil the rest. <laughs> Where you really don't care about anybody but you. Now, look, that's a natural tendency that's within our old nature. That's what happens when you're conformed to the pattern of the world. That's what you get. You don't find a lot of kindness or gentleness uh, in a corporate environment and sometimes even in a church environment. You don't find a lot of kindness and gentleness. So what he's talking about here stands in contradistinction to what you're finding in the real world. He's saying in the real world, as you're conformed into that pattern, it's not kind and it's not gentle, but as you're being transformed into the people God designed us to be, you should see gentleness. And now, by the way, let me say this about that. Gentleness is not weakness. Sometimes the word gentle is translated as meekness, meekness. You remember Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, meekness is not weakness. Gentleness is not 
weakness. In fact, uh, there's an old word that was used to describe for, uh, to break a horse, for example. It used to be said that if you break a horse, you have meeked the animal. You've meeked it. It's broke. Now, we don't use meeked anymore. We just say the horse is broke. We mean by that that it's manageable. The horse can be brought under control. Now, let me ask you, does that mean the horse is weak? No, that horse can pull a, 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 you know, it can pull a wagon. That horse can handle you. It can handle me. That horse, if, if, if he's not under control, is a very dangerous creature. But once the horse is meek, once it's gentle, once it's under control, then it has all that power that it possesses, and it never loses its power. It just has the power under control. Sometimes you need the horse to be forceful. Sometimes you need the horse to run and to pull, and sometimes you need the horse to, to run it at its maximum capacity, but you don't need that all the time. So the point of gentleness and the point of meekness is a quality that the Holy Spirit develops in our life, which means we have the ability to control certain emotions. I can control my passions, and I can control my ambition, and I can control my actions and my reactions. Why? Because I'm going through life with a sense of gentleness. Uh, gentleness. In fact, there's only two people in the Bible, believe it or not, that are called meek. That the Bible identifies these two as being meek. One of them is Jesus. Matthew 11, Jesus said, I'm meek and lowly and humble. He said, you can learn of me and you can find rest in me. So Jesus is meek. And the second one is Moses. Moses. And what's ironic about Moses being called meek is he was one of the angriest leaders of the Old Testament. Moses had a little temper uh, problem. He had a little issue with anger. Uh, you, when you first kind of see Moses uh, developing as a young man, he sees the Egyptian being, uh, or he said, he sees the, uh, the, the uh, Jewish man being uh, abused by the Egyptian man, and so he goes and kills him. I mean, he just, and then after he kills him, he buries him in the sand. They had little rage issues, right? Uh, you, you follow a little longer and he's leading the people across the wilderness. And in one place, God says, speak to the rock and the water will flow. So he speaks to the rock and the water flows. Another place he, he tells him, or no, rather, the first time he says, strike the rock and the water will flow. That's it. And so he strikes the rock, rock and the water flows. Then a little later in the Bible, he says, speak to the rock and the water will flow. Well, Moses is frustrated at this point in the story at the people and a little frustrated with God. So for the second time, when God this time said, speak, he hits it. He gets mad and he hits the rock. Well, that disobedience kept him from going into the promised land with the rest of the people. God took him to heaven, but he didn't get to, to fulfill his mission because he threw a little temper tantrum. <laughs> he had a little anger issue. In fact, remember when he went up on the mountain and God, the Bible says, wrote the Ten Commandments that was written by the finger of God. You remember that? Then he comes off of the mountain and he sees the golden calf and the people who had turned their back on God. While he's up there writing the commandments, the people are down there breaking them. <laughs> and so he, in a, a rage, he breaks the commandments. Remember that? You saw the movie? And then he goes back up the mountain and the next time he goes up the mountain, guess what? Read it. God has him write it. He's like, no, you're writing them this time. I wrote the first set, you're writing, you threw a little fit, you're gonna write these on your, so Moses had to write to God, you know, he dictated, but Moses wrote them. What's my point? My point is he's called meek, even though he had anger issues. Now, just because you have anger issues doesn't mean this quality of gentleness cannot be a part of your life. You remember James and John were sons of thunder? And I've told you through a process of transformation, no one in the New Testament wrote more about love than a man who used to be a son of thunder. So I go back to my point again. It's not that I 
can't change, it's that I won't change because everyone in the room who, who's connected with Christ, all of you watching who are connected with Christ, you have within you the power to change. Because first and foremost, gentleness begins in the heart. It begins in our hearts. God begins to develop gentleness in our heart. In fact, Isaiah describes what this gentleness in the heart looks like in Isaiah 40, verse 11. He says, God, look at God. If you want a good example of gentleness, look at God. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And you see those little baby lambs and they're just kind of just beginning to get their little sea legs and they're beginning to walk around and that shepherd just picks them up and he just holds them and he nurtures them in his arms. And then the Bible says, in, uh, again in Isaiah 40, 11, he gently leads those who have young. He says, I know that you is not going to walk too fast. She's not going to run off and leave those babies, so we're going to have to move slower. So he said, I'm going to gently lead her. Did you know God knows where you are and he knows what you're going through? Sometimes you don't have the energy, you don't have the power. Sometimes you barely have the will to move forward. The Bible says God deals with us gently. He knows that we're hurting. He knows what we've been through. He knows what we're going through. He knows who we are, where we are, and God will gently lead. And not only will he gently, he'll take you in his arms and he will nurture you. Why? He's gentle. God is gentle. And I'm saying this gentleness that he has can be a part of our life. Wouldn't it be wonderful for us to be, for it to be said of us, he's a gentleman. (laughs) She's a gentlewoman. He's kind. She's kind. One of the things that strike me about them is their kindness. And one of the ways that that this impressed me about how they handle things is they're they're gentle in how they handle things. That is the quality of the spirit that he develops within our heart. Did you know it was the quality that won Ruth over to Boaz? The great love story of the Bible in the book of Ruth, you go back in your Bible in the Old Testament where the pages are stuck together, you find the book of Ruth. And in Ruth, you have this Moabitish woman whose husband died. She's left only with a relationship with her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law was a Jewish woman who said, I'm going to go back to my homeland now. My husband is gone. My sons are gone. I have nothing left. I'm going to go back and see if I can make my living back in my homeland. And so the daughter-in-law, who is a Moabitish girl, decides to go with her mother-in-law. She's a widow, widower. And they make their land back, uh, their, their way back to Bethlehem, Judah. And Ruth begins to work in a field that belonged to Boaz. Well, Boaz was a wealthy man, and he was a single man. And so Boaz spots Ruth. <laughs> and he sees Ruth, and he invites her out on a date. And Ruth and Boaz begin to date, and he begins to learn more and more about her. And she begins to open her heart more and more toward him. And a beautiful verse that I'm going with this whole story is in Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, when, when Ruth is describing to Naomi the love that she's, she's discovering that she has for Boaz, she says this about Boaz, he has never stopped showing his kindness to me. You don't want her over. Wasn't that he was a handsome man, it wasn't that he was a successful man, and all that might have been true, but that's not what won her heart. You know what won that girl's heart? Was that man was gentle and kind. And that's the thing that meant the most to her. She didn't point out, Boaz is loaded and I'm in love. (laughs) Or he's a good looking devil. She didn't say any of that. She said, he can't stop being kind to me. Every time I've turned around, he's been gentle. He's been kind. Boaz, And it won her over. 
What am I saying? There's a quality of God that was in the heart of Boaz and the quality of a successful man, of a powerful man, the quality that he had that won the heart of the love of his life was not his success or his power, but his gentleness. Jesus didn't say blessed are the meek, or blessed are the money, or blessed are the mighty. He said blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Meaning the world is at the feet of a man or a woman who practices gentleness. So it's something that happens in your heart. Listen, secondly, it's something that will affect your home. Gentleness will affect your home. It'll affect your spouse. I mean, when you relate to your spouse with, with gentleness, listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. He targets the men. He said, husbands, love your wives. And listen to this, be gentle with them. Be gentle. He's saying, men, be gentle in how you handle her. Be gentle in how you relate to her. Be kind to her. Someone sarcastically and cynically said, home is often where you go when you're tired of being nice to people. <laughs> and that's sad. Sometimes we, 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 we show the worst to the people who love us the most. We're the hardest on, on those who care for us the most. And I'm suggesting this type of kindness and gentleness should be reflected in our home. Husbands, love your wives. One of the things Cindy always talked to me about, she said, as a guy, she said, you got to watch your tone, your tone. You know, you do public speaking for a living, and so she said, you, you, you can speak with some authority, and you, you can bring that into the house, and you speak, you, you have to use the right tone. She helped a brother with that. <laughs> Saved me a lot of grief when I brought that tone down. Tone it down. Bring it down. Bring, bring it down. And also in conflict resolution, not only do you need to bring the tone down, but you got to pick the right time. And not only do you need to pick the right time, you need to find the right turf. You need to find the right turf to handle conflict. But a big thing about it, and I guarantee every lady in the room would agree with me, is guys, we gotta watch the tone. <laughs> and he's saying to these guys, guys, if you, if you really want to have a solid, good relationship, yes, you should love your spouse, but you also need to be gentle. He, he fleshes that out, in, in fact, in Ephesians 6, in how we parent. He says to, to parents, don't exasperate your kids. He speaks to fathers directly. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but instead, nurture them. One child psychologist says, if you establish rules without relationships, it leads to rebellion. And so you have to build the relationship as you establish the rules for the road for the kids, or you'll exasperate them, you'll frustrate them. You can't raise the tone of your voice and try to match it against their voice. You just can't be sucked into the vortex when they're in that storm. Instead, you have to stand aside, be the parent, bring the tone down, and realize that I need to be nurturing and firm in how I discipline and how I direct my kids. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way they should go, uh, and the idea of training up in the Hebrews, the idea of directing uh, or, or, or aiming an arrow. I don't know if you, any of you are into archery, but you, you aim the arrow. You, have you noticed about it? In fact, the Bible says concerning kids, they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Um, have you ever noticed that you can have, the, you can have a, a, a quiver full of arrows and all of those little arrows be different? All of your little kids would be different. You, you have a compliant child. Don't you love those compliant kids? Aren't they amazing? You have a compliant child, and then you have the strong-willed child. Oh, mama, <laughs> brace yourself. <laughs> and, and then if you're like Cindy and me, you, you get one of both. 
And if, if you know my kids, you probably know which is what and who's what and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Cindy was the compliant child growing up. I was, the, believe it or not, the strong-willed child. That compliant child will learn by what you say to them. You can just tell them and they'll go, okay, okay, I won't. Uh, the the, the, the uh, strong-willed child, they learn by not what you say, but what they experience. Don't touch that, that's hot. Ow! Wet paint, I'm gonna touch it. Yep, it's wet. <laughs> that that strong-willed child is going to get mama right here on the edge, and just when she's there, when he should walk away, wisdom says leave, he's going to give her one more push. You got a kid like that? Here's the point. You pull those kids out of that quiver, they, look, they have the same fletching, the same broadhead, everything about that arrow looks just alike, but no two arrows fly exactly the same. So what you do as a parent in love and nurture, you train them up, you aim them toward the target and the way they should go, but it doesn't mean it's going to hit until they're old. He said, and when they're old, they'll not depart. Some of those old boogers are going to twist off on you when they're young. <laughs> You're going to head them in this direction and they're going to go like a, the other way. But just pant, don't panic, just, just breathe, breathe, turn them over to God, keep breathing, and understand everything you've put in them will come back to them at some point in life. You just raise some kids that are finding their way. So what's my point? My point at our job as parents is just nurture them, love them, direct them, try to put something in them that will help them when they leave the nest to be able to fly on their own. And all this is marked by gentleness. We, we need to be known for our gentleness. I remember my dad and my mom, they were very gentle in how they handled us and many things of life, but again, strong-willed kid, right? We could push them a little bit. One of the rules, we had a couple of barns and we had some cows and horses, and one of the rules was we had a fence around the house and it was always keep the back gate closed, we don't want the animals up in the yard. I had an older sister, have a younger brother, and of course, I'm the middle child. Any middle children out there, any of you watching middle, God bless you. We, 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 are a, we, we are very special in that the parents, you know, they, they, you know, the older, the firstborn, they're figuring it out. The secondborn, the middle child, they overcorrect, don't they? They overcorrect. The third one comes along, they mail it in. <laughs> my little brother, just mail it in. And so my point is that middle child. So I got the blame for the gate being left open and the horses getting in the backyard. Middle child, you know, I understand that. But it might have been me. I don't know. Could have possibly been me. I don't have that recollection. But in the process, and where I'm going with this story, is that my dad, they had a cyclone fence on the front of the house, and one of the horses hit the fence and bent the top bar of that fence. So he said, all right, Bill, you're going to help me fix this. Of course, I'm a kid. I don't know what I can do, but I'm going to be there because I'm in trouble. Got the horse out of the yard, gate closed, we're at the front of the house. So my dad, he takes that top bar of that cyclone fence, and he pushes it the other way, and he's going to try to pull that bend out of it. And I'm a kid, and I'm sitting here watching him do that. You know, I'm not, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm here. You know, let me know if I can help, you know. And all of a sudden, as he's pulling on that thing, the end of that pipe came out of the socket on the fence post and hit me right in the mouth. I mean, just bam, just a direct hit. That blood started going everywhere. You know what my gentle father said when he looked at me? He said, get your nose in it next time, boy. Get my nose in it next time, boy. What? I'm sitting here. And that was, that was, I mean, that was, that was his heart. That was his sympathy. So I went in the house, and my mom says, what happened to you? I said, Dad hit me in the face with a pipe. <laughs> yeah, that, I did do that. 
What's my point? My point is we try to be gentle. We try to keep things under control. It's a way whereby we have effective homes, and we need to deal with those we love gently, gently. Thirdly, here's the hard one. To be gentle with the haters, to be gentle with those who are hateful. You know you're going to have people that won't like you. I know that's hard to believe. Who wouldn't like us? Look around. Who would not like us? But you know, there's people that just don't like us for whatever reason. You're going to have a hater. And if you achieve any success in a relationship or in a family or in a business, you're, you're going to have critics. <laughs> Somebody's going to hate on you. Somebody's going to say bad things and somebody's going to lie. And somebody's going to, it's just, in fact, Jesus put it this way. It's not possible to live without offenses. They're going to come. People are going to offend you. You're going to get offended. Now, be careful with being easily offended, but you are going to have offenses. It's just going to happen. And so he tells us how to handle our haters. You've heard this verse before. Again, Matthew 5, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, and you may be children of your Father who is in heaven, meaning that you're going to be a reflection of who he is because that ain't natural. To pray for people and to be uh, kind to people who aren't kind to you is not natural. It's supernatural. I mean, when you're actually able to pray for someone who's criticized you, lied about you, and you pray, it may not change them, it changes you. It's gentleness. And so he's saying as you do that, you become a reflection of who he is. And by the way, here's something that will happen when you handle things with gentleness. You actually can de-escalate conflict. You can actually de-escalate conflict. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft word, a gentle word, can turn away anger. Sometimes when the tone gets ratcheted up, uh, bring your tone down. Did you know scientists have discovered something a few years ago that they refer to as mirror, mirror neurons in our heads, mirror neurons in our brain, meaning that we typically will reflect back what is setting or who is setting in front of us. We'll reflect the mood back at them. If they're angry, we're angry. If they're happy, we tend to be happy. If they're positive, we tend to reflect that. It's called mirror neurons. Scientists have identified this. And they've said that you actually, your body's natural reaction is when somebody brings a knife, you bring a gun. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. That came from a movie. But the point is, you, you, tend to, you tend to come back at them, right? And you continue to raise the tone. And you raise the temper. And you get angry at them. And, 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 and when that begins to happen, nothing gets settled. Uh, the Bible says that the wrath of a person does not bring about the righteousness of God. Now, there is good mad and there's bad mad. Uh, this kind of escalation is bad mad. It is stuff that doesn't bring about any good effect. So when they get loud, get soft. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good psychological move, and it's also a good biblical uh, uh, principle. If somebody gets loud at you, just get soft with them. If they get aggressive with you, you de-escalate de by stepping away. Now, that's not saying, gentleness is not saying or teaching that you become a doormat or you let somebody run over you or you don't stand for things that are right or righteousness. That doesn't mean that at all. Let me give you an illustration. You remember the story of Jesus uh, chasing the money changers out of the temple? <laughs> I mean, it looked like he threw a temple tantrum, but he really didn't. Did you, did you get that? Anyway, that, that's not what happened. Um, what happened was he saw these money changers taking advantage of people. Now, let me reset the context for you. 
Uh, in that day, there were people who would travel a great distance to get to the temple, and they wanted to honor God through their worship by bringing the best that they had, according to the Old Testament code, and they would bring in their uh, large animals for sacrifice. Some of them would bring uh, an animal as small as a dove uh, for a sacrifice, but they would bring these sacrifices uh, into the temple based upon their means and, um, and based upon their, their ability to transport them over that distance. Well, some people had animals, but they couldn't get them that far. And so the temple set up a system whereby they had kind of a brokerage where they would uh, use local people who would provide sacrificial animals at the cost of the animal for the people who could not either transport the animal from that distance or they didn't have a, 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 a dove available. They would buy it at the temple. Well, I don't find in Scripture where that was really criticized. It was kind of an accepted thing. And so they would do that. Well, here's, here's what got offensive. They started taking advantage of people. They started taking advantage. They started gouging them. They were paying more than they should have been for the price of these animals. Instead of using it as a service for someone to be able to offer a sacrifice and doing it as a service to their fellow man, they were just making money off people. And they were taking advantage of people. And they were dishonoring God in the process. And when Jesus saw what had happened to that, Something that began maybe with good intentions and good motives, and now it's all about the money, it's not about the people, and it's certainly not about God. It offended him. And the Bible says he went and made a whip. So it, it took him some time. He went home and he designed this whip and came back and turned over some tables and chased them out of the temple. He said, you're not going to make my father's house a place of merchandise. Now, what did he exercise? He exercised what I would call righteous indignation. Jesus, who was meek and lowly, was also strength under control, but sometimes that strength needs to be released. Sometimes the force needs to be there. And you, have, you need to have the wisdom to know when to speak up and when to shut up, when to stand up and when to sit down. And that's part of the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives one. It's the fruit of the Spirit that he develops gentleness, which is strength under control. So I'm not suggesting that it's passivity. I'm not saying that it is uh, being a doormat. I'm saying it's knowing when to take it and, and, and when not to. Does that make sense? And so the point I'm making this morning is there's good mad and there's bad mad. And in this case, whenever we are dealing with people who are coming at us and opposing us, one of the tactics that you always want to embrace initially is just gentleness. <laughs> just take the tone down. Bring the tone down. I read an interesting article, that same article that talked about mirror, uh, these mirror neurons. It talked about anger addictions. It, it actually said people have anger addiction that some people are not happy unless they're mad about something. You, got, you ever known of someone like that? It just seem like they're just mad all the time? Well, they say they've actually identified it. <laughs> they call it an anger addiction. So uh, what Paul said to Timothy, he said, man, 2 Timothy 2.25, just don't quarrel. D don't get sucked into the vortex. Don't get pulled into the storm. Don't quarrel, but instead do your best to be kind and be gentle. All right, let me give you this one. We'll go home. We've talked about how it is in the heart, how it affects the home, how to deal with those who are haters and the hateful. Here's the fourth one. It also ought to be, we ought to be gentle with the hurting. We should be gentle with the hurting. I mean, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, he says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Get those two metaphors. A bruised reed. You think about a flower, the plant, as it grows, the reed, as it grows up and produces the flower. And all of a sudden, that is bent in some way. He's saying God just doesn't just break that off and wait for new growth to come. Instead, he's going to do the best he can to try to nurture the plant back to health. 
He's going to support it. He's going to help the plant. He's going to nurture it. He does it gently. He says this smoldering wick, he says, I got this candle that was bringing light. It's, now all, it's not all the way out because it's smoldering. There's still some fire there, but there's just not much fire there. So he's not going to put it out. He's going to nurture it back to life. Well, he's talking about more than a flower and a candle. He's talking about us. He's saying there's going to be moments in our life when we're broken and we just need to be restored. There's going to be experiences of life when we're going to be burned out. We're just the shadow of what we used to be, and there's not a lot of fire there, and there's not a lot of drive there, there's not a lot of energy there. But your heavenly Father is going to then deal with us gently. So how then should we deal with other people if he's dealing with us this way? Galatians 6.1, he says, brothers and sisters, if someone you know is overtaken in a fault, and I love how that translation words that, it's the idea that someone is overtaken by something that they didn't plan. Sometimes we bring stuff on ourselves. That's not what it's talking about. They're overtaken. Um, something came and hit them, maybe from their blind side. They're overtaken. They're, it, it, maybe it's physical. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. All of a sudden, they're just overtaken in a fall. Then he says, those of you who are spiritual, restore that one. And he says, restore them, get this, in the spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. What's interesting about the word restore that he's giving to his church, the word restore is the same word that's used to reset a bone. Restore, reset. Now, I don't know about you. I, I don't know if you've ever broken a bone. <laughs> if you've broken a bone, let me tell you one of the things you're most interested in with the person who's helping you is that they be gentle. <laughs> Would you agree? You want them gentle. Be gentle. This bone is broken. It is hurting. You want to be, that's why he said, when you encounter people who've been overtaken, those of you who are spiritual, because sometimes spiritual, it's not the spiritual people that respond, it's unspiritual people, and they're not, they don't have the skill sets, the patience, or the compassion to deal. Sometimes the wrong people respond to broken people and can do more damage than good. So he puts the qualifier. He says, those of you who are spiritual, those of you who have recognized the fact God's dealt gently with you and he's given you now a capacity for gentleness. And so those of you who understand it, you get it, you've been there, you feel for them, that's the people that ought to respond to them. And you said you should restore them and you restore them gently. That's why every weekend, guys, we talk about it. We have people who walk through the doors of this church who are broken. We have people who watch online who are broken. I said earlier, we're all broken. We're broken in different places. We're broken over different things. But can I tell you the thing that the church ought to be known for is its gentleness in handling the broken. That doesn't mean we don't speak truth. Sure, we speak truth. Paul said, here's how you speak truth in Ephesians. He said, speak the truth in love. Be gentle. Take this medicine. It's going to be good for you. This is going to be good. This is, you, you need to get up and walk. Now, it's, it's going to hurt a little, but you need to do this. It's going to be good. We've got to get you up out of that bed. You gotta, you, we, we need to get you moving again. And so when you come into a life of the church and you come to the church broken, sometimes you're in ICU. You don't need to do anything for a while. We, we don't need to get you out there serving just yet. You're broken. It takes you a little while to get out of that. You, you just need to set and heal. You need to listen for a while. And then eventually, when you start feeling strong, we, we do need, we need to get you up. We, we need to get you to walk down the floor. If we can just get to the nurse's station, if we can just get you here and come back next weekend, that's, just get you to the nurse's station. We're going to go, go you, yay you, you way to go you. We're going to celebrate those little victories because eventually we want you healthy. Eventually we want you to find purpose. 
because you matter. And God wants to do something through you. And he's going to use your brokenness as a way to connect with other people. So when you're in that season, we as a church, we want to be gentle. Because God was gentle with us. So I hope this helps you a little bit with your understanding of this value of the fruit of the Spirit. I hope we'll be gentlemen and gentlewomen, have a gentle church that makes a difference in other people's lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that truly never returns void. It always hits the mark, accomplished purpose. So I pray now, as James exhorted us, not to just be hearers of your word, but to be a doer of it. If we've been brash and arrogant and too aggressive with people, I, I pray we'll embrace the idea of kindness and gentleness. Give us wisdom to know when we should speak up and when we should just back off. Help us to have that discernment. Help us to have strength under control. Help us to be gentle, kind, meek. And for my friends watching or those in the room who've never trusted you as Savior, Father, I pray this would be the moment when they humble their heart and they simply say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin and be a reality in my life. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.